Welcome to the Media Timeout Podcast. Let's be great. Let's be great. You're home for the sports content you want with the authenticity you need. Let's have some fun out here. You know, enjoy the journey of all this. We're trying to get 16 wins and going after a gold trophy. Where nothing is out of bounds. Now welcome your hosts, Jamal Tanner and Nick Holman. Hello and welcome to the MTO Podcast. This is the Jalen Rose edition, a.k.a. episode 81. Uh, we're going to talk some baseball, some football, some basketball, you know, the sports, because this is a sports podcast after all. Uh, but let's get started real quick with the biggest news of the week, and that's uh, Tatis Jr. getting suspended for 80 games for PEDs. Uh what do you make of all this, and what's what do you think of the, I guess, repercussions slash outcomes of this suspension? Yeah, it was it was crazy. It kind of popped up, you know, middle of the day, and you know, you don't really ever since you know baseball's kind of really cracked down on PED steroids, all that kind of stuff, especially since you know the Mark McGuire, uh, Sammy Sosa, Barry Bonds era. You really don't see these that often, you know, like, especially these long. So it was just crazy to see uh, suspension, especially that long. And then especially coming from the player that it came from, Tatis Jr., you know, a young superstar in the game, a lot of charisma, a lot of flair, a lot of flash, really good. You know, got a lot of, you know what I mean? Got a lot of commercials and a lot of endorsements off the bat, especially that's kind of rare for baseball players. You know what I mean? Like, we really don't see baseball players kind of out there on commercials like that, especially that young in the game. So he was kind of almost like the chosen one. And for him to slip up in this capacity, it just really sucks. It really hurts the game. And it's something they just didn't really need. And especially, you know, this, this is going to talk about this year with his team. They were really, you know, expecting him to come back and make a big impact for him, especially after Juan Soto trade and getting uh, Josh Bell along with that, along with Manny Machado having an NL MVP type season. They were, you know, they were looking for that boost to kind of propel them into holding down one of those wild card spots. And now this, you know, they don't have that to count on. And it's just, it sucks. It sucks for the game of baseball. It sucks for the Padres. And it's just, you know, I'm going to take him at his word that he didn't know that it was in whatever this ringworm medicine that he was using, which is really weird. I mean, I haven't heard about ringworms in forever since I feel like elementary school, like when the nurse used to come by and check for license stuff was like the last time I felt like I heard about ringworm, but whatever. Uh, I guess he had to take some medicine for that. So like I said, this is really disappointing. It sucks that it had to be him or had to be, you know, somebody in general, you know, we thought I kind of felt like we kind of had this cleaned up and out of the game, but it is what it is at this point. He's got his 80 games missing this season playoffs and then some of next season. And hopefully the Padres can make a run without him. I was really excited to see the Padres finally in the playoffs this year. That's a really nice place. Uh, I love their stadium. It's really nice and it gets rocking, especially when there's uh, meaningful games there. So yeah, it it just sucks. But, you know, hopefully he's learned his lesson. He'll mature and this will be in the past. But, you know, he, he seems like he's got some maturing to do. It's not his first incident. You know, he's had the motorcycle thing. He just always seems to have these little things that seem to be a maturity issue. So hopefully this is his last one and we don't have to talk about this dumb stuff with him. Of And I can just talk about his baseball stuff after this. Yeah, it's when it, the excuses come in, it's hard to really know what's real and what's not. I'm just going to, like you said, leave it where it's at. 
Uh, there's no really point in speculating with that. But so let me ask you this question with respect to Tatis and the Padres. Does this make the Juan Soto trade better or worse in hindsight? I mean, it's still okay in my eyes because you're at least have Juan Soto and Josh Bell down beforehand. You didn't have those players and you would have not had those players and not had Tatis Jr. for the stretch one. And you probably wouldn't have made the playoffs. And what now? This is what year two or three of, I feel like everybody preseason talking about the Padres making the playoffs or even winning that division. And every year it's a disappointment. So I think they're trying not to disappoint this year. And they were trying to do anything that pretty much make it in the playoffs and, you know, it just makes me wonder, did they know that Tatis wasn't coming back? And this is maybe a reason why they went after Soto and Bell so hard is because they wanted to still make the playoffs and they needed those players to help them. If they didn't have those players, they knew they weren't going to be able to do it. So, yeah, I still think for the Padres, it's probably good just because I think they can maybe limp into the postseason, but it's a struggle. They're only half game up, I think, out of that final spot right now, so... They, you know, they ain't in there. They're not like the Braves that are like five and a half up on in the top wild card spot. So we'll see what it is. But thankfully, Juan Soto's come over and he's been smacking. You know, so maybe that'll pick him up. Manny Machado, like I said, has had an NL MVP type season. So I think they'll hold on, but it's gonna it's gonna be shaky. It's gonna be like one of them old school uh, wooden roller coaster rides where you get on that bad boy and it starts shaking. You're like, oh, I don't know if I'm gonna make it. To the end, so I think it's going to be a wild one for for the Padres. All right, and then the last question I have on this topic, and then we'll keep it pushing. Um, with respect to Tatis, and you know how people love to talk about legacy talk. My man's been in the league for, what, two years, and we're already talking about legacy. Um, does the f- context behind this with the fact that we know that technically he was doing these but never played while on performance-enhancing drugs, does that help him do you think from a legacy standpoint and more specifically uh if he continues to be the guy that he is you know he has the opportunity and the potential to be kind of in that hall of fame category whereas a lot of players who have been linked to peds haven't been able to get in because of that link um do you think that this adding that context makes it to where he's more viable if he continues to be this level of player um or do you think names attached to peds you can't get in no, I think you make a good point that I really never thought of because I think every time we think of somebody getting popped for steroids or PEDs, they're usually playing during it, right? So we've never really had a situation like this where a player has gotten popped while not playing that season. So when you talk, when you bring it up that way and talk about it, I think you look at the context. You always got to look at context, right? Like you can't just, you know, see or see, you know, hear, say, read, whatever, you got to have the full grasp of it. So if we're looking at it that way, I think you kind of almost throw it out. I think we know pretty much he did it clean, whatever, when he was playing. He never got popped while playing. He got popped while sitting out for whatever medicine. He was not playing. He comes back. He's going to have to come back clean. I'm guessing past several tests, he's going to be drug tested, right? And then when he's playing again, I'm sure he'll be drug tested even having, uh you know, even more because he's already been popped for being suspended, right? So, therefore, we should know that while he's playing again, he's done it clean. I think we know that all his stats will be clean. So, I think it shouldn't be a stain on his legacy. He's got so many more years in this league that if he plays 16, 18, or whatever 
this is going to be so far in the past that you're not even really going to think about it. Maybe that hater or somebody here or there brings it up, but you go back and, like I said, look at the context of it. You'll see that he was never popped while playing. So, like you said, I think that it won't be a big one on his career. I think it happened earlier enough. It happened while he wasn't act or you know playing in the game. So, I think people will give him a little leniency. Quite honestly, I, I think they'll look at it and they'll they'll see what it is, and I think he'll be okay. All right, I like it. I like it. Uh, so let's switch gears. Let's go ahead and go to football. Everybody's really excited that football's back. Even me, it's got me watching preseason football. I don't never watch preseason football, um, but I'm in it. I'm locked in. Uh, I watched a lot of football over the weekend. Saw a lot of good things, but I want to start with you. Um, do you have any early preseason impressions, whether it's good or bad, or about s- particular players? Um, and if so, walk me through them. Yeah, uh, the first one. I'm I'm a little pat on my back on this one, and it. And this is because I've been telling people for probably a couple of years that the Niners needed to upgrade at QB. And when they finally decided to draft one and to move on from Jimmy Garoppolo, they got Trey Lance. And I really liked it. You know, I, I got, he needed to sit. He needed his grooming. He didn't get, you know, that year before he basically got drafted because of COVID and him playing at, um, South Dakota state. And, um, uh, them not playing games. Uh, he just didn't have that time. He needed the reps and, you know, get used to NFL. But now that he's going to be a starter, you see the, you see what it is. The talent just comes out. It looks really good. And I'm really happy that the Niners didn't do this thing that teams do that just go, we're good. We're okay. We'll stay. You know, this QB's gotten us to the Super Bowl and gotten us there. But not actually looking deep into it and saying, is this QB actually holding us back? So... I really like Trey Lance. First glance at him playing this uh, uh, past weekend. Wow, that rhymed. Uh, and uh, you know he had that deep pass that looked good. You know the running ability ability looks good. Him and that Kyle Shanahan offense. I mean, we've seen what he's done in the past with mobile QBs. So I really like him. Uh, your boy before he kind of got hurt, Drake London. I really liked. He looked really impressive. Uh, injury's not uh, serious, so that's good. Real big guy. I didn't know he was that big. I think it's always weird when these college players come to the NFL and then you see them against other NFL players and you're like, damn, this dude's pretty big. So uh, that was just another guy that I saw and was really impressed by uh, at first glance from this uh, past weekend. Yeah, if you're going to pat yourself on the back, then I'm going to pat myself on the back. There's a couple of uh, under-the-radar receivers that I was very high on and kind of telling you over and over again that I was I was bullish on. I don't want to say under the radar because the first one, George Pickens, isn't under the radar. He went to Georgia. He was a second-round pick. But I was telling you that I thought he was really one of the best receivers in the draft. Um, In just one quarter of play, he had three receptions, I think 43 yards, and a touchdown. Um, And the touchdown he did have was a really good catch uh, over the shoulder, got both feet in. And in his classic way, he starts, you know, chomping. Uh, talking to the to the corner because he's very to-ish in that way. He also has a highlight where he just like pushed the cornerback down and then waved at him as he as he threw him to the ground. So it's going to be a lot of fun watching my guy play. He's he's entertaining. He's going to be controversial, but one thing that isn't going to be something that's debatable is the talent the kid has. Um, one thing that I will also note is the Steelers historically do a very good job at identifying wide receiver talent. Um, they pretty much turn it out year after year. Um, so. I think the idea of him being good is going to be 
I think there's a good chance that he ends up being one of the best receivers in this draft. If I had to pick an early rookie of the year candidate, that would be my pick is George Pickens. Um, so I'm just going to pat myself on the back on that. And then there's two other guys that I was always naming and telling everybody. Well, there's more than two because I'm just good at this, right? But two that I will bring up right now. Um, Romeo Dubs, I was really big on. He's had a great camp. He also went out and had, I think, three catches, 45 yards and touchdown. And then as a real late sleeper, I've been kind of saying as much as I could about Danny Gray. I know it was just one catch, but if you're going to have one catch, why not make it a 76-yard touchdown, right? So those are the guys that I, I was I've kind of beating the drum for early and often after the even during the college football season last year. So I feel vindicated. Those are the guys that had the preseason impressions that I was uh, really happy with. Um, I feel like there was some quarterback play that I was impressed with. Like Sam Howell looked really good for the commanders. Um, I was really impressed with that. I think sometimes you kind of forget how good he was and how high he was thought of because he was going to be a first round pick and then he didn't have a great year at North Carolina. And then so we kind of, he dropped all the way to the fourth round and then you see him and you're like, oh, why wasn't this guy picked higher? And it's like, okay, he was projected to be picked higher. So he kind of has that Spencer Rattler kind of when you think about it, whereas he was supposed to be the guy and now people are really down on him, but he looked really good. Um, There was a lot of good play out there that, frankly, I don't think you usually see in the preseason. I think we got to see some players longer than we normally do. I think maybe there's some changes going on with the way NFL teams are operating for this preseason. But the guys I named were the ones that jump out to me right away. Um, We'll add this onto onto Twitter and get your guys' opinions on that. But, uh, yeah, I thought it was actually an exciting brand of football, which isn't normal for preseason. Maybe I'm just overly excited to watch it, so I'll take whatever I can get. But I thought this was a higher quality of football on um, preseason. They even had some close games go down to the wire, like the Falcons won at the end of the game. Um, I think the Steelers won at the end of the game. I think it was Kenny Pickett to Tyler Vaughn's, I believe. So we had some pretty close games, some good endings some good performances, so I was pleased for week one of the preseason. Um, Off of that, we have two questions. Just because I've been talking about receiver, I'm going to flip-flop the order, and we're going to talk about this question first. So, Watching these players play, I named three receivers that are rookies that I think are going to be studs. None of them were picked in the first round. We've seen guys like Darnell Mooney, you know, Stephon Diggs was the fifth-round pick. Hunter Renfro, fifth round pick, you know, Devontae Adams, second round pick. My question to you is, are first round receivers really worth it? Short answer, no. I think, especially now these days with the offensive being played in college football, you have more wideouts that are available to you. And these guys are good, man. It's so deep at wide receiver every year now, I feel like. And you're always seeing these guys who pop up in the third round, fourth round, fifth round. And I think it's just because the brand of football, everything's spread out now, you know? It's four wide. It's five wide. It's, you know, we're giving it even tight ends now. You you know, we're trying to throw to all the time. You can find those guys. Like, you're just trying to always find what's going to, you know, college always pushes in NFL. Like, they don't want to admit it, but, it, like, it just always seeps over and leaks over. So, Right now, with college being the way it is, with all these teams spread out, you're going to find a bunch of wide receivers. That's just what it is. So you don't have to spend first round draft picks on it. You should probably, you know, spend your first, you know, round picks on a DN that they don't fall off of trees. You know what I mean? 
or an elite offensive lineman, which even, you know, we were kind of joking about if you miss one at left tackle, you can always move his ass into guard, but maybe you should swing on more of those guys. Maybe, uh, corners that can be elite that are in the first round that maybe we don't think about all the time. So I think you can definitely start, you know, not, you know, drafting wide receivers so high. There's so many of them that you can find in any round of the NFL draft that you're going to be okay. I feel like, so I personally wouldn't go high. I mean, I definitely wouldn't go top 15. Like that probably maybe bottom of the first round would probably be as quick as I draft one. But unless you know, you're getting Randy Moss reincarnated. Like, I don't, I don't think I can do it. I think you just gotta, I, these drafts have just shown us recently that it's so deep in those positions that you don't have to go high to get someone that can be special. So yeah, I think the time has come that we, like running backs, I don't know if we can draft these wide receivers high anymore. It's not to say that the first-round receivers aren't good enough, obviously, because you get a Jamar Chase, like you feel really good about that because he's a special player. Justin Jefferson, well, I'm watching the Vikings right now, special player, and they deserve to be drafted in the first round because they're one of the best players in that draft. The reason why I brought up the question is because you look at, we'll use that draft, for instance, the Justin Jefferson draft. We have C.D. Lamb in the first we have Justin Jefferson, but we also have Jalen Rager, and we also have uh, Henry Ruggs, right? So it's not like it's without a doubt you're going to hit with these guys because we've had some players that necessarily didn't hit. But let's just use Justin Jefferson, phenomenal player, probably top five to ten receiver. I don't really want to get into where you put him. The point is he's a Pro Bowl caliber receiver, easily in the top ten. Let's comfortably in that. We'll have that discussion another day. But you look at him in the first versus Darnell Mooney in the fifth in that same draft, and it's like, okay, Justin Jefferson's the better player, but which one is the better value from a draft pick standpoint? And I think you can make the argument that Darnell Mooney was the better value because you can get Darnell Mooney and you know a defensive end, which is harder to find in the fifth round, or a left tackle, which is harder to find in the fifth round, and, and all these positions that are more difficult to find later because there's not as much depth, not as much depth getting, trying to find guys like Mooney or Stefan Diggs or so on and so forth later is more valuable than getting the, I don't want to say sure thing. Cause like I said, half the receivers in that first round were kind of busts, but the more likely to be a sure thing, like Jamar chase was a hundred percent going to be a good player. Like we had no doubt. So the certainty of getting that guy that early, I'm not sure that's worth it when you can find good receivers later and then get two positions of needs filled. So this isn't to knock any of the first round receivers. I think a lot of them are great players and players you want to have on your team, but so is Cooper Cup, right? Like he's a great player and he wants to have on your team. And I agree with as far as going the way of running back as far as drafting, not with the payment, like you still got to pay these wide receivers, but I'm not sure you need to draft them as early to find the guy that's worthy of paying. So I think it'll be interesting to see that shift because if I'm thinking about it, I'm sure there's GMs thinking about it. And like this draft coming up, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be a great player. He's going to be a first round pick, but there's also going to be guys that fall through the cracks. that are going to be third, fourth that probably won't be as good, but you also got them later you know i mean we all play fantasy football right when you do a keeper league and you have to get rid of a pick 
you don't always pick your best player. You pick your most valuable player. So these picks that are later may not be as good, but they can be of better value because when you got them. And that's all I'm saying with this. I don't. It ain't no shade to the first-round receivers. There's a lot of very good first-round receivers. But I think you can get better value later in the draft is all I'm saying there. So another question as far as a paradigm shift in the NFL um, that you kind of noticed when watching this is system QBs. You brought this question up. I'm going to have you answer it first, even though it's your question. But with the way things are moving in the NFL, do you think that system QBs are kind of a thing of the past now? I think they should be. I don't know if the NFL is totally going to swing that way because I do believe, especially if you hire a defensive coordinator, because these guys just specialize in just keeping their head above water, which I don't get. But, uh, yeah, I think you should be done with it. What is the point of having a guy that if your system is – you basically are saying, I need my system to work perfect for our plays to work perfect and or to even work. And that's just not how the NFL – works quite frankly you have to be able to do some things off of you know you know have to be able to move on your feet and have to be able to work things out in a quick situation and i think that you can't just have these guys that are just placeholders like the days to me of jimmy garoppolo i'm going to use him as an example i'm sorry again should be dead like you shouldn't want a guy where your first thing when you bring him up is he's a winner like that's bullshit you shouldn't that like that should that shouldn't be your stat he wins. Like, it's football. There's a lot of motherfuckers that are playing in this game and have a lot to do with winning and losing this game. You know what I mean? Like, it was, I saw a perfect example. It was like a video of these construction workers moving around like something. And there was like this one dude kind of helping out. Not really. His hands were kind of on there. He's just moving around. And that's like what system QBs are. Like, they're just, they're kind of helping, but not really helping. Like, and I just, why would you want to put yourself in that position? I don't get that. So I think it should be dead. You should be looking for a QB that just doesn't, you know, keep your guys' head above water. Like, yeah, if you're rebuilding, you're trying to lose, and you know what I mean? Like, yeah, play. But if you're trying to actually win, you shouldn't be out there running a system QB. Like, that should not be on your mind. The only time you should be running a quotation mark system QB is if you're trying to tank because that's all they're really good for is tanking. So, yeah, like I said, it should be dead. I don't know if it will be dead because all teams don't take that same smart approach thinking, but, you know, it is what it is at this point. Before I give my take, let me get some clarity because my brain is very literal. So I want to make sure that I'm judging the same type of player that you're judging. When you say system QB, do you mean game manager? Is that kind of more what we're talking, or are we talking about, like, kind of pigeonholing a player to a specific system? Uh, I mean, are they all in the same for the most part? I mean, like, we pretty much call these guys game managers. I mean, we pretty much called Jimmy Garoppolo a game manager. I mean, he was, what, a, a good game manager because his team, like, because he didn't fuck it up for the most part? Like, I don't know. Like, are they not pretty much the same, I guess? It's just, uh, you, depends on what kind of team you're on. <laughs> So the reason why I'm asking is because I would consider Jimmy Garoppolo to be a game manager. And also, he only fits certain systems, right? But I would also consider Lamar Jackson to be a system QB in the fact that he's best in a certain system. But in no way would I consider him a game manager. Like, the dude's elite. But 
you can't ask him to do the same type of shit that Tom Brady's doing and expect him to be great within that. Like he has a system. You kind of have to work a system around his skill set in order for him to be great, which he can be great. He's a league MVP and no way am I shading Lamar Jackson, but in some ways I would consider him a system QB, but I would not consider him a game manager. That's why I'm asking the question. I mean, I think that's unfair because in that aspect, you're basically saying, Hey Lamar, I know you have good legs, but don't have good legs because Tom Brady doesn't have good legs. Like, you know what I mean? Like you can't, you know what I mean? Like, I think we keep doing that to Lamar Jackson and we act like he didn't play for Bobby Petrino that doesn't have a complex system. You know what I mean? Like we keep doing that to him. So I'm like, it's he, to me, he's not a system QB. He's played in different systems. Like he just happens to have legs that are elite. So you kind of, you have to use them. You can't just say, we're not going to use your legs. So I don't know. I, I guess my whole thing with it is just those guys who I feel like are only good when they have a, like a Kyle Shanahan system or a Sean McVay system, basically an elite OC makes you decent. Like those guys are the ones that I'm talking about. You got to be done with, like there's just no place for them because you're telling me that you have to have an elite offensive coordinator just for this guy to be decent or good. Like, and you're just not going to find those everywhere. So I guess that's my point of it is not playing guys who need elite offensive coordinators to be decent to good. Okay, because, again, this is not shade on Lamar Jackson, but what I'm saying is there's certain systems that don't want their quarterback to move, right? Like, that exists. This isn't an indictment on Lamar Jackson. This is the fact that some systems don't aren't predicated around his legs. It's not to say that he can't throw, but he's better if he's allowed to move, right? Like, we can agree on that. If you, you have to give him the freedom to go be Lamar in order for him to be great. That's what I mean by that. Much like I'm going to say a prime. I know this is going to sound like a bad example because of where we feel about him right now. But like, much like to me, Russell Westbrook in his prime, there's some things that you're going to have to just tolerate and deal with in order for him to be great. When you try to bottle him and try to make him into the prototype, so to speak, the old prototype, so to speak, he's not going to be as good. But when you allow him to be himself, he can be one of the, best players in the NBA or and for Lamar Jackson, one of the best players in the NFL. So this isn't in any way an indictment on him. What I'm saying is that there's certain systems that wouldn't be a good fit for him. If you don't open it up in a little bit and allow for him to be good. Same thing with Tom Brady. Like a lot of people feel like Tom Brady's the goat, but if you tell him to go run that system that they're running in Baltimore, he ain't doing that shit. You know what I'm saying? Like that's why I was trying to differentiate the uh, system from game manager, because I do think that can be a different thing. But since I got more clarity at this point in time, I do think I agree with you because you're talking more. I think you're talking in what I would interpret as more as a game manager. So like your Kirk Cousins, your Jimmy Garoppolo's, your Ryan Tannehill's, so on and so forth that need a lot around them. And yeah, I think a lot of that is dead. And I think what you're trying to find more often now is a playmaker at the position. And so I think a lot of teams in the past wanted a QB who wasn't going to fuck it up for them. But now I think they're more willing to take risk at quarterback and, and live with some of the, the, the bonehead plays in an effort to get more playmaking things. Like obviously the prototype for this would be Mahomes, right? He takes a lot of chances. He's going to no-look pass. He's going to do some shit that in the 1990s would have made OCs hella uncomfortable, right? But now we're like, you know what? 
we'll live with that because it increases our ceiling. To keep using basketball analogies, Steph Curry, right? You put Steph Curry in the 90s, he ain't taking those threes because Coach Chuck Daly's taking his ass out the game, right? Because why are you taking a 40-foot three? But now we're like, you know what? We'll live with some of those long misses because, A, he can hit it, and we need him to be who he is. But, B, the upside of that is now you've got to guard him all the way out there, which opens the floor for everybody else, right? So we're more willing to deal with what we would have traditionally considered a bad play because of the fact that, A, they're able to do it, and then, B, their ability to do that opens up so much other stuff for me that makes my job as an OC or as a coach easier, right? So I do agree with the idea that we're done with kind of this whole, like, in a box, just be this, this, and this, and just as long as you don't fuck it up for us and we'll be fine, a punt's a good play, don't turn it over, that kind of thing. I think we're allowing for more room for, you know what? Take that chance. Push the ball down the field and see what happens. Like, that's just a 50-yard punt anyway if they pick it off. I think we're allowing for more of that. And so the QBs that can't play make are starting to go away one by one. So I agree with that. But my literal brain hears system, and I'm like, well, not every quarterback can fit in every system. So then I, I can't get off of that because that's just the way my brain is wired. All right, so now that we got that clar- clarified, let's go ahead and switch to a, a kind of a more loosey-goosey fun topic and that you came up with that I, that I actually love. Um, there's been a lot of pro-ams over the summer. Um, we've seen some great performances. We've seen some not-so-great performances. So can you give me a short list of your pro-am winners and losers from the summer? Oh man, this this has been my favorite video. So like, this has replaced the workout videos for the summer, right? Because like, I feel like in past we get the funny workout videos we see of guys, right? But this year it's basically been the pro am videos. And my first loser has got to be John Collins, right? He played in two of them, and I'm pretty sure like he didn't do good in either one. Like he played in the Drew League one, and I heard he was booty. And then he went up to the Seattle one and played with Murray and uh. Trey Young, I think they all went up there and played because Jamal Crawford's been getting dudes up there all summer, which means next summer I'm going to watch them games because it seemed like Crawford getting dudes come up there. Had Banchero up there too. I think that's where um, uh, Murray and uh, Banchero had gotten into it a little bit. So um, Collins, that's my first loser uh, of the Pro-Am. Second loser, New York Knicks. Yo, whoa, are you kidding me right now? These, I can't, I'm sorry, I'm trying not to lose my shit. This was so funny to me. Randall, your prize possession, Jalen Brunson, OB Toppin, who I'm sure you're trying to trade for uh, Mitchell this offseason, uh, went up to the uh, a pro-am, I think it was in the Bronx. I, I have to check me on that, but I'm pretty sure it was up in the Bronx. Lost by 13 to a team that didn't have any NBA players. Like, I felt like I should have did that like Stephen A. did the, who was on crack? Like, that's how I feel about them losing by 13 to a team that had no NBA players. Like, I think their best player on the other team, I think Dude Hoops in Israel or something like that, I, I heard, which no shade on that. I'm sh- I mean, I'm, I know they got pro leagues overseas and they legit, but my man ain't even in the league and y'all got beat by a team. 13, like, the Knicks, this is half of your, like, two, like, of your starting rock. Oh, my Lord. Like, if you're a Knicks fan, do you just quit on the season already? Like, why would you want to watch games? Like, 
I would just not even watch. But yeah, that's my two losers. If you got any losers so far, let them know. We'll go on the winners next. But yeah, Knicks and yeah, just losers always. Um, I haven't forgot about THT. He's definitely a loser for me. My man had a role player game in the Drew League. That can't be a thing. Um, DeJounte Murray's reputation is a loser because I think he went out and played well, but he's starting to get a lot of shade just because of the way he's acting in these programs. Like him with his beef with Paulo because he tried to flash this number one draft pick. Like what, what does that even mean, bro? Like I was the number one pick. What you mean? I did give you 40. Like what you want? Like I don't blame him for getting 40 put on him. Paulo's big as shit. Like how, how is he supposed to stop Paulo in a non NBA? Like we're not game planning. We're just out here hooping. Paulo's a big motherfucker. Like, he's going to give you 40 in that setting. Like, I'm not mad at you for that. It's not his basketball ability that I feel like is a loser. It's just his reputation because they showed him, like, bouncing the ball off the dude's head three times before he went to the basket. And a lot of people don't like that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know DeJounte. I'm not not really one to, to jump to a conclusion or judge him. I can say the optics don't look great, but... I don't know the dude, so I'm not going to necessarily judge it, but I think his reputation definitely took a hit, especially because while a lot of people know who he is, it's like a hooper, because, I mean, he was an all-star this year. He doesn't get a lot of publicity, so we don't know a lot about him, the man, and so this is pretty much all anybody has really seen of him. The only thing I'd seen before that was actually pretty cool, him reuniting with his dad, and he think he bought his dad like a truck or something like that, and it was like an emotional moment, and I was like, oh, that's hella cool. And then the only the other two snippets I've seen is this Paulo and then him bouncing the head, bouncing the ball off my man's head. So I'm like, you know what? People aren't all one thing, right? People are complex. So let's just allow him to be that. But I think his reputation definitely took a hit. So for my two losers, I was going to say the Knicks, but you already covered that. So I'm going to let you just go ahead and do that. Um, I'm going to say DeJounte's reputation and um, THT dropping... 14 in the jury. I mean, by all means, if you got more to say about the Knicks, I'm I'm willing to hear it. Like I'm all for Knicks slander. So if you want to jump, if you want to hop on and say more, I'm I'm willing to listen. So you know what? I'm gonna use this as a transition. I'm going to say the winner from the pro am is R.J. Barrett. Because as far as I'm concerned, I'm like this is my fucking team now. At this point in time, I'm the captain now. And when the contract time comes up. You got to make sure you remember that because I wouldn't have took my ass to a pro-am and lost by 13, even if I was by my fucking self. That's a, if I'm R.J. Barrett's agent, I'm writing all this down. I'm like, oh, they had Randall. Okay, yeah, they had Toppin. Okay, they had Brunson. Yeah, this is R.J. Barrett's team now. That's that's how I feel about that. So he won without even playing. That's the way I look at that. Um, another winner to me would be LiAngelo. He went out there and got 52 on them on them boys. So I'm not sure if he's going to get him a roster spot, but anytime you're able to be kind of talked about in that positive way and the basketball circuit, especially when you have pros out here, not doing as well. I think it's a really good look for him. Uh, Kuzma out here looking like Wilt Chamberlain in one of those, I think he had like 62 or some shit like that. So I think that's a, that's definitely a win. It's funny when I saw the Kuzma stat line, I thought it was fake because you know how they got all this ball sack sports and all that stuff. And I was like, ah, oh, they throw the fake one, and I'm like, oh no, he really did that. So I think he's a big winner from that. 
the list ain't that big because I think as an NBA player, you're kind of expected to do all this stuff. So LeBron going for 40 and 10, like that don't move me. Like he's LeBron James. So those would be my winners. There is RJ Barrett, LiAngelo Ball, and then Kyle Kuzma just because he had ridiculous stats. I will say LeBron's a winner in the aspect of I felt like he brought it back for the summer. Like I don't like I know a few of the dudes who do it kind of every summer. Like I feel like a DeRozan kind of does it every summer. Um, like I said, Jamal Crawford is hooping every summer, but like not everybody was doing it. You know what I mean? And like once LeBron kind of stepped out, I was like, yo, I'm, I'm showing up to the Drew. It seemed like everybody came out. Like Trey Young came out. Like you said, Kuzma came out like everywhere. And I just felt like, especially this year, more ball players were like, oh, LeBron can do it. Shit, I'm doing it too. I can do it. So I definitely, I like the fact that dudes, I mean, I, you know these guys, they like to hoop. It's You want to go to any run. Like, oh, we hooping open run basically. Yeah, I'm down. Like, so I just really liked it. I, it's it's funny you ain't see none of the really like besides LeBron, you see none of the old players. Like you ain't see Chris Paul get his old ass out there and show up at the open runs. So it was it was good, man. And I think it's gonna be a thing going forward in the summers. I think you're definitely gonna see more guys doing it. I'm, we'll see how long because I'm sure they're gonna start throwing uh them clauses in them contracts in case your ass get hurt. So yeah, but it, it was fun for this summer. So we'll see how it goes the next summers. Yeah, I definitely think there's going to be clauses. It's kind of interesting. I don't know if it's going to have a really big impact, but I think it could probably have some sort of indirect impact because Paige Becker's got hurt running in pickup, right? And so now she's going to miss all of uh, her junior year. So while that's obviously not paired to the NBA, I mean, injuries are injuries. It doesn't matter who you are. You can get hurt. So I'm sure that is across some GM's radar. Like, hey, I mean... Just because these are televised and fun don't mean you can't tear an ACL doing it. So I think here and after the next collective bargaining agreement, you're going to see some uh, can't play in the Drew, but you can only play 30 minutes of summer in the Drew, like some some minute cap as far as how much you could play in the Drew. Um, because I think stuff like that, all it takes is one, right? Like if one star gets hurt in that, that's going to get shut down for everybody. And I think some people are going to want to get ahead of it for sure. Um but that's a that's a fun one there. Um, this next question, I don't know how to tee up because I think it's a ridiculous question. So I'm going to have you ask it so I could go ahead and answer it. So <laughs> you tell me. I'll let, I'll just give you the floor. You you tee this question up for okay, me. Okay, okay. And this is funny. I saved this question. I didn't even want to tell you that I was going to ask you because I just wanted your raw opinion of it. So earlier this week or sometime this week, Antonio Brown gets on the Twitter and says his biggest regret. And you, people, of course, first thing, you're like, oh, Antonio Brown probably has a few regrets, right? You know, chunking up the deuces that, you know, Jets filled as he took off half his clothes. He said, nope, not a regret. Uh, you know, throwing mail, I think, at a UPS worker or something like that. He was like, nope, not a regret. He was like, you know what my biggest regret is? My biggest regret is me not being able to see me play in person. And, I, and of course, we go off the rocker because it's Antonio Brown. And, of course, because he brings up the examples of seeing Jesus at Red Rocks, which never happened, or at least maybe my Bible memory is bad. I don't know. Maybe I need to refresh on the Bible scripture, but uh, I'm pretty sure I didn't read that. But, uh, yeah, so it, it got me to thinking, as crazy as Antonio Brown is, does he maybe have a small point in there in all the craziness? And I thought about it from this perspective. I remember there was a picture, I think I saw, like, Einstein uh, teaching a class full of black guys, or black men, sorry, I should say, sorry. And 
I thought about it. I was like, yo, if you're, you know, Einstein and you're this smart and you can do all these things, how cool would it have been to actually see yourself doing it versus just doing it? Say like a Mozart, you know, who was, you know, just awesome doing it versus watching yourself doing it. And I, and I got, or in like a LeBron watching yourself versus watching it on tape. So I was like, you know, maybe he has a small point in all the craziness. Like, yeah, I'm not saying Antonio Brown was that, that great to be like, yo, you're good, but you didn't miss out on much by not being able to see yourself play. But I think there are some other people in the history of time who, we could honestly look at and be like, yo, that probably would have been dope for them to be, you know, actually seeing themselves doing it versus actually just doing it. So as crazy as he was, I do you agree? Does he maybe have a small point in there with certain people? Absolutely fucking not. Like, no, no, not even close. Like, what do you mean? Like, there's so many things that you get to achieve and be a part of because of your greatness and you want to tell me that you didn't get to watch yourself so that's something that i should do you regret like you're using like first of all antonio brown himself isn't at that level i'm like you got to watch players play that are better than you so you still got a front row seat to greatness i'm sure at some point the lions and steelers played and you got to watch calvin johnson up front i'm sure you watched randy moss up front you know i'm sure you've seen julio and all the great receivers, you got a lot. Basically, you got a sideline ticket because you ain't not even on the field when they're doing their thing. So in football, you literally get to watch great players play and you're not playing, right? It's one thing in basketball, you can't just sh- shock and awe about LeBron because you got to guard him. You, you can't, you're not just sitting watching. Like, you're in the middle of it. But football, if you're going against Tom Brady as a quarterback. You get to watch Tom Brady if you want to. I'm sure you got some things that you got to get on the surface and break down plays and film and this, that, and the third. And you got to talk to your OC. Yeah, you have those responsibilities. But, I mean, you legitimately have a sideline seat to watch greatness. So this idea that Tom Brady was robbed out of the experience of watching Tom Brady, like, that's ridiculous to me it's funny don't get me wrong i laughed at it i think it's hilarious that that's his biggest specifically him that being his biggest regret like that sounded like some to shit to me if to said it i'd be like yeah okay or chad johnson said it that's that's just kind of their personality but they're not loony bins so it would just been funny we probably wouldn't have took them serious the sad part is that antonio brown is probably 100 serious about this that he feels he was robbed of the opportunity to watch his own greatness. Like that's the most narcissistic thing you could possibly say. Like that's, that's hall of fame level narcissism right there. It's like, I didn't get to see me live and I can't help but think about how great that was for y'all. So I think being able to be remembered in, in his, like for instance, LeBron James, you brought up the fact that your name is going to outlive you. You know what I mean? Like, that's something that would mean so much more to me than being able to watch me play. If I had to choose between watching LeBron play or being as great as LeBron at basketball, it's a no-brainer for me. I'd rather be that great at basketball. So I don't think he has a real valid point. He also, like I said, is now in a position to where, if you're LeBron James, you got to see Kobe live up front. Most people don't get to see that, right? You got to see a lot of stuff and privy to a lot of be on teams that nobody else 
where very few people will ever be able to be on, right? Like that Redeem team with Durant. I don't think that was the year, the four years after that. But the team with Durant and Kobe and Chris Paul and Darren, like you were a part of that, you know? Like that's something that you're able to do because you're that great. I don't want to sit here and hear that you were robbed, that I didn't get to see me. That that, that don't do it for me. Nope. As soon as you put that on the podcast, I was like, okay, you're going to have to tee this up because I can't with a straight face ask if he has a point because he ain't got anywhere near a goddamn point. Yeah, that's funny. I just, I wanted to bring it up just because AB's crazy and the the Jesus at Red Rocks comment alone had me rolling for about five minutes because I'm like, what are you talking about, my guy? Like, I, I'm like, Red Rocks? This, okay, whatever. Yeah, but yeah. He doesn't have. Well, I just tried to, you know, get some fun. I liked it. I there's always maybe a point in some madness. I thought he was close to a point. He did, like you said, he just wasn't. He wasn't close. He he was trying though. But um, yeah, it's it's entertainment value for sure. And I'm not mad at him for saying it because it it provided me entertainment. But it's, if we're trying to take it seriously, it's it's a ridiculous statement. But it's still funny. So I so for bring it home. I thought about this the other day. I don't even know what I was watching, probably on Twitter flicking around, but I saw you kind of brought it up. I saw the 2012 NBA or the men's Olympic basketball team. And I kind of forgot about all the dudes that were on that team. And I was starting to go down the list and I was like, dang, Durant, uh, Kobe, Paul, Harden, Westbrook, uh, Westbrook, Love. Um, who else was on that team? I had the roster pulled up. Let me see. That's, I think I said James Hart. Uh, Anthony Davis, Carmelo Anthony. And I started to think, could that team give the Dream Team a run for its money? If maybe not be almost better than the Dream Team? Yes, is the short answer. And before everybody, all the old heads, like, have a stroke, it's fine. With the context of what it was, Larry Bird wasn't that Larry Bird. It was 1992. I mean, my man Larry Bird was playing college basketball in the 70s, right? He wasn't... It wasn't this era where people's prime is so long. Like we look at LeBron and think about how good he is in year 20. That's not normal. Most people had a four or five year prime and then they had approaching their prime and then the kind of the fall off being this great for that long. Isn't normal. And a lot of it has probably to do with, you know, modern science and technology and blah, blah, blah. But the point is, is that iteration of Larry Bird isn't prime Larry Bird. That iteration of Magic Johnson isn't prime Magic Johnson. You probably have prime Pippen, prime Jordan, prime Barkley, Malone, and then David Robinson's probably where you have most of the prime. And even David Robinson might have been a little young on that team. Because he played all the way through 2000, somewhere around there, and was pretty you got good. got Prime so. Clyde Drexler, too. Prime Clyde, right? So, don't get me wrong, it's a great team, but two of the top three players on that list from a all-time standpoint it weren't in their prime. For instance, Barkley is quoted as saying he was the second-best player on that team, and he might be right just because of the fact that Magic and Bird weren't in their prime at that point in time. So the names, the collection of names, if you look at the totality of their careers, I think it would be much, much closer. But when you look at the team that you just named, 
pretty much all those dudes were in their prime. Except Anthony Davis, he was a rookie, I want to say. Uh, James Harden was still very good. I don't want to say he was his prime. But the heart of that team was all in their prime. And frankly, if you pick this team versus that team as they were, I would say that the, the LeBron, James, Kobe, Durant, that, that team wins in my mind. And I know that's going to be this thing where I'm too young and I don't know basketball. Yeah, whatever. Fuck you. I have my own opinion. I think that team wins pretty handedly, mainly because of kind of where they were in their careers. But also, if you just drop them into it, right, and just play, it's going to be some shock with from a athleticism standpoint that you ain't going to just compensate for on the fly. Right. So that's where these era conversations get to be kind of silly and stupid because yeah, if you just kind of just reincarnate LeBron James back then, then it's going to feel like they're playing against the monsters because they ain't never seen no shit like that from an athletic standpoint. It's hard to really shape. We talked about it on the podcast when when Bill Russell had passed. We should probably stop doing this whole era conversation as far as who's greater and who's not. I don't love it myself, but in the spirit of answering the question, I would say the, I think it's the 2012 team that you're talking about. I think that team ends up winning versus the 92 team. Yeah, I I think so too. I think the only problem with the uh, 2012 team is kind of lacking bigs. Their problem, they probably should have dropped Iguodala if they're going to, even though if we're going to mix it up a little bit, drop Iguodala probably for Dwight Howard would probably be my preferred pick to go up against because that 92 team has Ewing, has Robinson, has Barkley, so you probably do need some down-low defenders. Uh, probably could put LeBron on Barkley or at least you know try that matchup, but uh, definitely inside, you're probably going to need some uh, bigs to handle Ewing and uh, Mr. Robinson, or Dave Robinson along with Charles. But so, yeah, that'd be my only thing I would change from the 2012 team. But besides that, yeah, that 2012 team could probably handle that 92 team. Yeah. I mean, you're right. They'd probably handle them inside, but that 2012 team is scoring three at a time, not two at a time. So you go have to pick up a lot of layups to pick up for it. And then from a, like Francis Carl Malone was pretty good, but I'm, I don't want to say he would just stop him, but I think LeBron at that point in time, is a decent matchup for him. Um, Carmelo, I think from a size standpoint would be fine with Barkley. Barkley would probably eat his ass up because Carmelo's not a great defender, but it's not a size issue. The big problem would be at center, but even then you're only playing one at a time. It's not like you're playing David Robinson with um, Patrick Ewan. You're playing one of them, so we got to give up some size and give up some buckets inside. Okay, who who are they going to guard when you put them in the pick and roll, right? So I still think at the end of the day, 2012 team would win, but this isn't in any way a shade or think it's going to be some sort of blowout. I just think the 2012 team at that time was just just the better roster. But that's the show we have. I appreciate you guys listening. I think it was a fun episode, a fun show. Um, next week, I'm sure we're going to talk a lot of college football and get this thing humming. I'm very excited. It feels like it's getting closer and closer, <laughs> probably because it is getting closer and closer. Um, but until then, you guys, I guess, can enjoy some preseason football, and we'll holler at you guys next week. 
Thanks for listening to the Media Timeout Podcast. Mahomes looking to flip, takes it in for the touchdown. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at MTO Sports, on Instagram at Media Timeout Sports, and visit our website, MediaTimeoutSports.com, for more content.